0: It's a uh, privilege to worship with you in this really beautiful sanctuary this morning. Um, Someone told me I might regret wearing pants today and not shorts, but we're just going to roll with it. Um, We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, My aim this morning is to communicate a clear picture of God's purposes for his people. Uh, To say it another way. My hope here, as we've gathered uh, this weekend, is to cast a compelling vision for a compelling community. The idea that God is doing something intentionally, very on purpose, as he works in and through you and me as part of this local church. And I want to approach it by by not first asking through the lens of what is my purpose, or even what is our purpose as a church. But instead I want to ask this question. What is God up to? What is God doing? We'll get to our part. But I want us to start with the question of what is God doing first. Now, we might tend to ask that question of what God is up to. But mostly when it comes to difficult circumstances, right? When, when the things that we're working through or going through are, are difficult or hard or challenging... We tend to ask, like, God, what are, you, what are you up to in this? We'll ask the question then. When we're enduring, enduring something difficult, when we're carrying a heavy burden, we tend to ask, God, what are you doing? What are your purposes in these things? So we ask that question in the midst of our burdens, but, but I think we tend to not ask that question when it comes to our blessings. Make no mistake, God has and richly does bless his people But I want us to ask that question. What is God up to? What are his purposes, even in his blessings of us? So that's kind of my big question this morning is, what is God doing here? And the the answer, the big idea this morning as we come to our text is God blesses his people for their joy and for the salvation of the nations. God blesses his people both for their joy and for the joy of many others. For your joy and so that others might find joy in Jesus. And so to dig into that, I'd like to look at a psalm this morning, Psalm 67. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 67. Um, the text is also on those uh, lyric sheets that we uh, handed out. By the way, if you need one of those, um, I think there's some more back at the, at the desk over here so you can sing along if you don't have one of those. Uh, psalm 67 is where we'll be. We're going to read the whole psalm, all seven verses of it. And so you can find your way there. Like I said, it'll be on that sheet. Or you can just listen if you don't have a Bible to look at or maybe look on with your neighbor. Uh, Psalm 67. I'm going to read it and uh, and we'll continue. Psalmist says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. Verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is God's holy word for us this morning. Would you join me in a quick word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this glorious day, and we ask that by your spirit, your word would do its work in us, that you would apply to us what you've revealed to us from your word, that we might be equipped, that we might be freshly filled with joy as we recognize, receive, And walk in your rich blessings that you've given us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a word that shows up here, both at the beginning and end of Psalm 67, is that word bless. And I think we have a weird relationship with the idea of blessing. I don't know if it's our enlightened Western culture, I don't know if it's something uniquely American or Midwestern, but I think we have a weird relationship with the whole idea of blessing. Here's a couple of ways I think we tend to get it a little twisted up. Uh, On the one hand, I think blessing, the idea of blessing gets downplayed, right? And I think that's partly the result of our culture, partly because of our rugged individualism, our cultural work ethic, which I would argue aren't necessarily bad things. But because of those things, I think we take kind of a naturalistic view A self-sufficient approach to all the good things in our life. Let me give you an example. We approach things that are good or things that we receive that are good from the perspective of, I did that. Take food, for example. Right, We're sitting down for a good meal. And our first thought is, I made this. Or maybe if you didn't make it, maybe you're sitting down because you're at a fancy restaurant and someone else made it. You're like, but I paid for this. Right? I bought it. I'm paying for it. I made it. I can enjoy what it is, but it kind of circles back to me. Right? We can view material wealth from the perspective of, well, I worked hard for that. I earned that check. Right? We can approach accomplishment or success from the perspective of self congratulations. Good for me. Right? Now, I'm not saying that those things aren't true. It's good to work hard, right? It's good to, to celebrate when you uh, set a goal and reach that goal. Those are good things. But, but hear me, they're secondary. They're secondary. Because we have no food if God does not make the food grow. We have no ability to work or earn a living if God does enable our minds to fire or our hearts to beat, or our lungs to breathe in and out, and our hands and our feet to move, right? So, so on the one hand, our idea of blessing is limited often, or diminished to a human-focused, a me-focused, kind of naturalistic, we-create-our-own-blessings kind of approach. I think that's one way we kind of, if I can say it this way, fall off into the ditch of misunderstanding blessings, But I think there's another way we maybe have an awkward relationship with this whole idea of blessing, and that's we conflate, which means we mingle blessing with happiness. Here's what I mean. When things are going well for us, when life is good, we take it as a one-for-one sign when life is good, we must be hashtag blessed. We must be because everything's everything's we're killing it, right? Must mean we are blessed. When things are good, we're happy. When things are not good, or when things are hard, we start to think, and I think we start to live as if, well, somehow God has removed his hand of blessing on us. That's why things are hard or that's why we are experienced suffering and and then we end up functionally believing that God has abandoned us. Good equals blessing, hard equals. No blessing. But I think that's also a faulty way of viewing blessing. Rather, I want us to, with more regularity, say with hearts of genuine thanksgiving, praise God. That the first thing that escapes our lips, for all sorts of things that we tend to take for granted, that the first things that would escape our lips are, praise God. And I want that to be a flow from our trust in God that doesn't just ebb and flow with our feelings or with our circumstances, but that you and I would be able to believe and know in the richness of God's blessings at all times, both in times of conflict and in times of comfort. And I think Psalm 67 helps us a little bit with that today. So that we become a people who gratefully, with gratitude and with joy, just collect take in every blessing that God gives us, and we joyfully cultivate all of God's gospel blessings. And I think a people who joyfully collect and joyfully cultivate all that God has blessed us with are a people who then make up a pretty compelling community. So that's what I'm hoping to accomplish this morning in just a few minutes. I want to remind us that God is up to something. He is purposeful in all of his blessings of us because he is doing something for his glory in and through you here at River City Church in this place and time. So I said it before, I'll say it again. God is blessing us for our joy and for the joy of many others. That's what I think Psalm 67 has for us. So that's our big idea. And I said at the beginning, my hope was to cast a, a picture, a vision for what a compelling community looks like. God is blessing us for the joy of others. So just, I just have two points as we work our way through the text this morning. Psalm 67, just two points for what I'm calling a compelling community. I've already told you what they are. Maybe you heard them. For those of you who are taking notes, here they are. They both start with C. We collect God's blessing and we cultivate it. We collect it and we cultivate it. So a compelling community, what God is calling us to as a church, is a community that collects and cultivates God's blessing. Let's look at the first one, verses 1 and 2. Look at the text again. Psalmist says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And then there's that word selah, which is that pause for reflection. Just just verse 1. Now, I'm guessing for some of you, verse 1 sounds familiar. You may have read that verse before, or you may have heard that language before, and they're from a well-known passage of the Bible, Numbers chapter 6. All the way back in Numbers chapter 6, Moses is leading God's people... And Moses' brother Aaron is serving as priest over the people. And God tells Moses to tell Aaron to bless the people. And this is what God tells Moses to tell Aaron to tell to the people. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 27. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So God determines, I am going to bless my people. And if you look at the components of that blessing, you'll see that the blessing of God has to do with God's keeping and God's grace. Notice his blessing of them is not to provide for them a a thing other than himself. The Lord keeps his people. The Lord extends grace to his people. And it happens in the context of God's face, which is described as shining his countenance or his gaze where he is looking. It's God's loving gaze upon his people, which is the source of their peace. And I'm I'm just going to make the case here that a central component of God's blessing of his people is not primarily what God does for them. But rather, it is his presence in and amongst his people. His face, his glory shines upon his people. He looks upon his people with grace and compassion and the love of a good father. And that is the central benefit that God is offering. God is saying, I'm giving you me, I'm giving you myself. And in our passage, the psalmist is asking God, God, would you fulfill that promise? Would you answer that blessing promise? So the psalm here, Psalm 67, and we of this morning, we're showing a, a readiness to receive God's blessing. They're asking for it. They're desiring it. They're asking God to remember his promise, to bless them and to renew it. They aren't afraid to ask. They're desiring. And they they want to collect, they want to take and hold on to and and make it theirs, all of God's blessing of them. And I think this is the part that kind of presses on our, our broken understanding of blessing sometimes. Because I think sometimes we operate as if we aren't sure we actually need it. Or we aren't sure that we deserve it. So we don't ask. We're either super self-sufficient or we have such a low view of ourselves that we become super self-deprecating. And in both extremes, we fail to ask for God to actually bless us. So that our storehouses are full of God's blessing and instead they sit empty. We have empty pantries so often. Because we didn't even ask God to make his presence known among us. We push it away. And both of these extremes suffer from the same problem. They're looking at God's blessing through the lens of self. Either I don't need it or I don't deserve it. And so it really just boils down to the root sin of all of us, pride. <laughs> it's it's Pride. But here's where I think a right understanding of God's blessing helps us in both directions and that it forces a little bit of humility, which is good for us. Because it seems that when it comes to God blessing his people, it's less about the people and it's really all about God making his presence known. God is primarily concerned with giving of himself. And so if God is central then neither our perceived self-worthiness nor our unworthiness is central. God is central. The unworthy one is made worthy. That's grace. And the one who thinks of himself worthy on his own is humbled. That's God's mercy by the white hot glory of God in the face of Jesus who alone is the worthy one and who welcomes in the sinner making them into saints. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis talking about humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And I think that helps us here. Because part of our issue when it comes to thinking about God's blessings is that we think of ourselves far too much. We see everything through the lens of me, and when we do this, it ends up distorting everything. So if the central benefit of God's blessing of us was just knowing. If all it was that we knew that God was near us, if we could just know that his face is upon us, if we we knew that it, it wasn't primarily about a specific circumstance in which we find ourselves, or it wasn't specifically about material comforts, but it was just the reality that God's gaze was upon us, that we could know that he sees us, that he holds us, that he promises he'll keep us, that his grace is available to us, then I don't know about you, but I think that that would benefit us to gather up as much of that truth as we can hold on to in the mundane, in the middle of the week, or in the depths of a challenging season to know that I know that I know that God is with me, that he sees me. Oh, what a grace. But do we gather up that truth? Do we collect, if I can use that language, do we collect that blessing so that when we're going about our day, When we're in the middle of a a dry season or a hard season or the lull of the middle of the same mundane thing day after day after day, when we find ourselves there, we can throw open the doors of the storehouses and know that God's blessing is abundant and we can remind ourselves, look at the promise of God that he is here with me, that he sees me, that his grace is available for me today. Let's not be afraid to ask God for the blessing of his presence with us. Now, we know he's always present because he is God. We can't run away from him. But that we would have eyes to see and hearts that are ready to receive that reality. And I think God delights to answer that prayer every time it is asked. One more thing before we move on to the second and final point from our text this morning. Look at verse 2. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, comma, that. That, that's a so that. God, would you bless your people so that your way and your saving power would be known among all nations. If we needed one more reminder that God's blessing is not primarily about us. Look at the purpose God puts right here in the middle of Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that. See, God blesses his people with his presence. Yes, for them. Yes, it is for us. But also so that others. When the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, uses the word nations, it's speaking of people outside of God's covenant people. So, so follow the train of thought. God blesses his people with his presence so that the nations might know him. That's what I mean when I say that God is creating for himself a compelling community. What sets God's people apart is not merely their behavior or their particular religious practice or their cultural distinctiveness. What sets apart God's people is that God is in their midst, that God is their God, that he is present with them. So when you and I, in our personal lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our classrooms, when we gather together and worship like this, in all these places... When we live as if God is present among us, that says something about who we are. That sets apart God's people. Not because we're self-sufficient. Actually the opposite. We're God-dependent. But we're also not hopeless in hardship. We're confident in God's sovereign grace. We don't live in fear, but we live by faith. In the God who rules over all things. We aren't perfect, but by God's grace, he is sanctifying us. We are being made perfect by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what sets apart God's people is that God is our God. It's God himself present among and in his people that sets them apart. And it is by God's good design that this reality of God's presentness with his people is an invitation to a lost world. It's an invitation to come and to see what it's like to be a people with God at the center rather than someone else. God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and through you all the families of the earth will Be blessed. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. So you and I can pray along with Psalm 67. Oh Lord, would you be gracious to us and bless us? Would you make your face to shine upon us and through us? Would you make your name and your saving power and your gospel of grace visible and known to others? We collect God's blessings so that they might be on display to everyone around us so that God's grace might be known. But there's five more verses in Psalm 67. Let's look at them now. We collect the blessings of God and we cultivate them. Look at verse 3. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples Praise you. I, I, I like the word cultivate not just because it also starts with a C and is easy for me to remember because I think our relationship with God is often like that of a gardener or a farmer. It's actually an illustration that shows up regularly in scripture. God supplies the seed. God supplies the soil. God supplies the rain and the sun. God gives the growth of the plant. And yet we have this responsibility to do things like till the ground and pull the weeds and harvest the fruit in season. But every bit of it is dependent on God. The gardener or the farmer cultivates what God provides. Now, there might be lots of ways to cultivate what God provides. Psalm 67 gives a really practical way to cultivate the blessings of his presence among his people. We see it in a couple of words here. Look again at our text. Verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. There's a little song sandwich here if you saw it. Right? Four times in these verses we read the word praise, honor, commendation, worship. And one time we read specifically sing. So verses 3 and 5 are a declaration that God is worthy of worship And is a call to all people of the earth to worship the living God. And specifically, there are a few things for which God is worthy of praise. Verse 4, you judge the people with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. We're not going to get real deep into this, but let me just say it this way. God is righteous. He judges with equity. We looked at that at Psalm 50 last week. And he guides by revelation. Revelation. He's given his word. God judges the people with equity, the psalm says. That that means God is perfectly fair in all of his judgments. As we read last week in Psalm 50, as Kevin opened up God's word for us, God is just and will bring about full and final justice on the earth. God gets the last word over everything that happens under his creation. And this, Psalm 67 says, is a cause for singing. Singing. Some of you don't like that. You're like, but I don't like to sing. I don't care. Psalm 67 says you should sing. <laughs> right? And sing to God and praise him for his righteousness, for his equity in his judgment. He is fair and never wrong in his judgment. Oh, how righteous and just you are, O oh Lord. And at the end of verse four, it says, you guide the nations upon the earth. I don't know about you, But a quick Google News search, and you might question whether or not the psalmist knows what he's talking about, right? It seems the nations are in turmoil and in conflict and in chaos, but here's what I think the psalmist is saying, at least in part. The nations have cause to sing for joy because you have made yourself and your will known to guide the nations if they would receive it. Hebrews chapter 1 spells it out this way. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God has spoken to our fathers by the prophets. So God spoke to his people and ultimately to any who would listen through Moses and the prophets. God revealed himself in what we have in the Old Testament. So at least part of what the psalmist is saying here is you've given guidance, God, You've given the prophets, you've given your word through Moses, your law through Moses, not just to the people of Israel, but you've given guidance to the nations through your revelation, made yourself known, made your ways known. There is truth and life in God's word and wisdom by his spirit. That's what I think the psalmist is saying here. Sing for joy, all you nations, because God has not left you in the dark. He's spoken to you through his word, if you'd receive it. Praise God for he is a righteous and good God who judges with equity and he has revealed himself and his will through his word, so that all the peoples of the earth might have guidance. And the psalmist says this is worthy of praise. And then the psalmist closes verses 6 and 7. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Did you hear that? There's a confidence in that verse. Our God shall bless us. There's trust here and hope here in this verse that God will answer this prayer for continued and final blessing. And so that's where you and me reading this psalm through the lens of a risen and crucified Savior in Jesus can lean on what the rest of Hebrews chapter 1 says. I just referenced a minute ago. Long ago, in many ways, God spoke to us, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Jesus ultimately is the fulfillment of this prayer of blessing from Numbers chapter 6 and from Psalm 67. Here's how I got there. If God blessing his people centers on God being present amongst his people with his face upon them and his glory among them, then God, the son, God incarnate in the flesh came near to be with, to live among, to not only take on human flesh, but to carry on his shoulders. The entire weight of human existence And he bore in his own body the pain and punishment for humanity's sin to bear our curse through death, destroying death, and then rising again to glorious and victorious life, who right now reigns in glory at the right hand of the Father, who has redeemed and is redeeming a people to call his own who will come back in glory. This is a fulfillment of the blessing of Aaron and the prayer of Psalm 67. God shall bless us. He has blessed us in Jesus, and He will bring that to full and final glory. And the good news is this that Jesus takes our sin and puts it to death, and in exchange, we get Him. We get Him. We get a whole myriad of other blessings as well. But the central one is we get Jesus. And he is worthy of praise, which brings us kind of full circle to where I started this morning. Look at verse 6. With every blessing that we receive, the earth has yielded its increase, right? Every vegetable in our garden, every dollar in our bank account, every hour of life that we have and breath in our lungs, in everything that God provides, he is blessing us, and that is worthy of praise in everything. I am far too slow to say, praise God. I don't want to be. In everything that God provides, he is blessing us and he is worthy of praise. And a people, a community that is confident, that is sure of the goodness and grace of God, a people that are vocal in praise, I think that's a compelling contrast to the cynical and selfish and cutthroat survival of the fittest cultures of most of human history, including our own. Um, In his book, uh, Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, John Piper writes about the importance of missions. Excellent book, by the way. I highly recommend it. God's evangelistic work among the nations. But he opens his book like this. Piper says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship, he argues, is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, And the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God. Missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into, and I love how he says this, the white hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. So my prayer for us as a church is that we would grow in this season in our praise of God. That our gladness in the glory and majesty of God would increase. That we would be brought into the white hot enjoyment of God's glory, that we would be more glad in the greatness of God, that we would seek God's blessing. And by blessing, I mean not merely material blessing, but because we desire the giver more than the gift, that we would seek God's face, that we would desire more and more to be in his presence That we would cultivate that work in our own hearts and amongst us as we acknowledge God's work among us. That we would be vocal in our praise. Yes, in corporate song to be sure, but that in our everyday conversations around the dinner table and in community groups and at our workplaces, that we would be quick to say, praise God. When we see his hand at work in big and small things for all of his blessings in our lives. Let us be first among the peoples in praising God. And my desire is that we would see our place here at River City as a people who are loud in our praise of God. And we are passionate in our pursuit of others that they would join us in praising God. Oh, God, that you'd continue this work among us, that you would be gracious to us, that you'd let your face be upon us and you'd bless us, that we might be a compelling community, inviting others to experience your grace to us in Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.